Hi, I'm Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 45 of That's a Good Question. How should Christians think about transgenderism? One of our underlying assumptions of our podcast is that Christians and the church do not carry their work out in isolation. So rather, we we live and we minister in a cultural context, uh, a cultural moment, if you will. Mm -hmm. And how we express the truth then will be determined in part by issues of the day. So we've dealt with uh, some current political and societal issues um, from a biblical perspective, in addition to some of the the doctrinal topics that we've Mm -hmm. discussed. And today we're going to seek to answer a very relevant question for this particular cultural moment Mm -hmm. in which we find ourselves. And so here's our question. How should Christians think about transgenderism? Mm -hmm. So Pastor Ken, why don't you get us started by introducing and framing the issue for us? Well, you know, I first became aware of this several years ago when I was in in a conversation with someone, and I don't recall who, but they made the distinction for the first time that I can recall hearing it between biological sex and gender. Mm. And as I say, I don't ever recall hearing that difference made prior to that. Because my whole life, when filling out forms at a government or a doctor's office or whatever, You'd sometimes see a question about sex, followed then by an M or an F to check sex as male or or female. Mm -hmm. Sometimes instead of sex, it would say gender. But again, the choices were binary, you know, Mm -hmm. just male or female. So for nearly all of my life, biological sex and gender have been equated and been equated throughout society. Now, some of you, some of our viewers may be old like me and remember a Dr. Richard Raskin Uh, He was an ophthalmologist from New York who, in the mid-70s, while in his 40s, started playing tennis as a professional, but on the women's tour, Hmm. having undergone sex reassignment surgery. Hmm. He could not compete on the men's circuit, but was pretty good as a woman. But of course, as is the case today with that's back in the 70s, huh? Back in the 70s. Oh, no kidding. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. And I was at, you know, 11, 12 when this was starting to happen, but yeah, it was a big deal. Hmm. And so now he is competing as a woman, but of course, as is the case today with boys or young men wanting to play sports as girls or women, he had this competitive advantage now. The tennis associations, they all started requiring that players verify their sex with a test of their chromosomes. Hmm. He refused, went to court. He won. Wow. And so Dr. Richard Raskin was allowed to compete on the women's tour as, and you may not have known uh, him by that name, but as Dr. Renee Richards. And again, some of you that are my age or older may remember Dr. Renee Richards, and did compete on the professional tour, the women's professional tennis tour, for four years, retiring at age 47. He then became the coach later for Martina Navratilova. Hmm. Many will know that name. Now, Martina is a lesbian, as frankly, many of the players on the professional tennis circuit were back then. I don't know about today. That includes one that, again, this is a name that many of you will know, Billie Jean King. 
Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of Billie Jean, she was number one in the world for a time in the 70s. She was a, a phenomenal player. And I followed tennis as a, as a boy, uh, both men's and women's. I even played some as a kid, and she was just, she was great. At the time in the 70s, the best men's players were John McEnroe, Bjorn mm. Borg, Jimmy Connors. I can't hear his name without thinking, but chalk flew up. <laughs> Is that the famous <laughs> oh, John McEnroe, McEnroe line? Right. He's that's yelling McEnroe. at the ground. <laughs> oh, and he's always yelling at the refs and going after them. Yeah, that was his famous thing. You're right. <laughs> but in, in 73, there was the so-called battle of the sexes match. Now, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 11 at the time. But this thing was hyped. I remember it. Being I was one. I just oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. So you, you probably don't remember. I how don't it was remember hyped. it much. No. <laughs> it was hyped like crazy. It took place at what was then the relatively new and enormous Houston Astrodome, mm-hmm. and twenty-nine-year-old and number one woman tennis player in the world, Billie Jean King was going to take on one of the professionals from the men's circuit. Now, that's a battle of the sexes, right? Mm-hmm. So it'll be McEnroe or Borg or Connors. No. No, it's a guy that I had never heard of <laughs> named Bobby Riggs. Now, it turns out Bobby Riggs was a good player in his day, but he's 55 Wow! when he plays the so-called battle of the sexes. a complete farce, honestly. Yeah. And yet it was touted in the press like it was some impressive feat to have the best woman in the world beat an old has-been, mm-hmm. frankly, like, like Bobby Riggs. Mm. With the, the Richard Raskin issue and the so-called battle of the sexes match. And I, you didn't say, maybe you were going to say, did she, did she win? She won. Oh, okay. didn't I say? I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Oh, yeah, definitely. She won. Okay. Yeah, he was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm watching this thing, really, and he is returning, you know, you're, volleys. You're 11 year, years old, and you're, you're like, I am. And this I is terrible. <laughs> He's, he's, he's volleying back, and he's lobbing these things back, mm. you know, the best he can do to, to barely get to it and lob it back. It was really it was really. He's probably just happy to be back in the spotlight. I guess, <laughs> but it was really. Now, he was very talkative. He was a showman. He was the one, in fact, as I recall, who I've proposed this whole thing. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that. Yeah, so he was mouthing off about it, and so getting his comeuppance was okay with a lot of people. But still, so you had this Richard Raskin issue. Then you had the so-called Battle of the Sexes. And having seen that, even as a boy, I knew that one day this agenda is going to come to fruition because it's being, it's being pushed, mm-hmm. and it's made major inroads since, and it's going to be an issue now for years to come. Yeah, I noticed when you referred to Dr. Renee Richards, you referred to Renee as he mm. and him, mm. and that's a big issue with transgenderism. You know, How do you refer to someone right. who's transitioned? Right. So, so today we want to see whether the Bible differentiates uh, biological sex and gender. And whatever the answer is, we want to think about how we view and treat those who consider themselves transgender. Mm. That's an important thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this raises many questions. You know, mm-hmm. it, it includes things like uh, we mentioned, what should you call someone who was born one way but considers themselves another gender? Do you use their new name if they've adopted one? Mm. Uh, do you call them by their pre- preferred pronouns? How do you explain to your children what's going on? Mm. Uh, so many questions that result from someone declaring themselves to be a gender that's not their birth sex. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but we've got to start, as we always want to do with this, we want to start with God's Word mm-hmm. for what it says about biology and, and gender. Uh, 
there are then, in turn, many questions that come up, as we'll see and as you've mentioned. But we can't deal with those various complexities until you first simplify. Mm -hmm. I think we often make a mistake when we try to deal with exceptions before remembering the rules. Yeah. You know, in math, you're told to break a problem down to its basic components. Then you can go about solving You're it. triggering me by talking <laughs> about math. <laughs> go ahead. I get it. I get the and analogy. I Somebody said this. I want to say it was Ayn Rand that I read years ago a book by Ayn Rand. If anybody knows who that is, she's a, a famous, well, she was an infamous atheist, but she was also a libertarian, mm -hmm. very conservative libertarian with a lot of libertarian thoughts and that she articulated quite well. She wrote The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Uh, she had another one called, a little book called The Virtue of Selfishness. <laughs> I actually am aware of that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was in that book, but whatever. I think it was her. She said something like, you don't have gray until you first have black and white. Hmm. And that, that stuck with me. That, of course, gray is you know a combination of black and white. Mm -hmm. But we often talk about gray areas. Yeah. without first reminding ourselves of what the black and white are. Right. And so I think that's what I mean when I talk about knowing about the rules before you get into the exceptions. It helps to know what the black and white are before we get into the gray. So what does the Bible say about biological sex and gender, and are they different? Now, before I go on, I want to acknowledge my indebtedness uh, to a chapter in a book that I recently read. The book was titled, is titled, Talking About Ethics. Talking About Ethics. It has a chapter on gender identity. Hmm. Uh, and it, they say, in contemporary English, the word sex refers to a person's physical makeup. You're either male or female, and that's determined by your biology. But gender, on the other hand, refers to a person's psychological makeup which can range from strongly masculine to strongly feminine and a number of gradations in between. Now, most people who are biologically male also fall somewhere along the masculine side of the gender spectrum, but not always. Likewise, those who are biologically female usually, but not always, fall along the feminine side of the gender spectrum. So what does the, the Bible say about any of this? I, before you get into that, I always, I run the, when I ask questions like this, I, I fear I run the risk of taking you off track because I know right. we've, we want to make sure we cover certain things in the time we have. But um, isn't that kind of subjective as well, the masculine side, the feminine side? Maybe we'll talk about that as time goes on. So, um, you know, is pink feminine yeah. in our culture? You know, yes. Uh, yeah. And in, in fact, I, as, as we go on, then uh, we will talk a bit about how these things are arrived at, not always by nature, but by nurture, mm. okay. you know, and how they're culturally developed. And yeah. so we have to take that into account as to how much we hold someone responsible for acting in a particular way, behaving right. in a particular way. So yes, absolutely. Okay. So going back to the beginning, beginning of history, beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. 26th verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26, male and female, he created them. And there's no third category there. And then you go to the New Testament, and you have Jesus, God, having come to earth as man, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 in the New Testament refers back to Genesis chapter 1, and Jesus said... At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Mm, pretty clear. But uh, 
Though it refers to only two sexes, that's not the same as two genders necessarily. People who are born as boys vary in their degrees of what we would call masculine. Biological girls vary in their degree of what we would call femininity. Uh, and so we would sometimes call a girl a tomboy, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. um, because she didn't do all the things that her girlfriends her age mm-hmm. would necessarily do. Uh, and so, but she's still biologically a, a girl. And likewise with boys. We'll talk a little bit about some differences there. Some of this is linguistics, because again, you're, mm. you're using gender and sex uh, the way in our in our current culture and language, it's being used commonly, and usage determines meaning. So, mm-hmm. uh, whereas when when we were young, they were the same. They were the same thing. That's so right. that I could just Thank hear you. as people are Thank listening you. to that, that's maybe right. going, "Wait, what is he saying?" That's right, and that's why the definition at the beginning about mm-hmm. what sex is versus what gender is today, today, contemporary, yeah. because yeah. that is the way. And and you're not talking about philosophy; you're talking about language. Yes, yeah, that's what that's, that's the right. way it's being used. You're yeah. right. Yeah, but most important, God Himself demonstrates, uh, if, if we think about it, what's best in both masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. what we would normally associate with those. I mean, mm-hmm. in the first part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, God is depicted as things like a general, a judge, a ruler, all of which are usually masculine roles. And so there are some masculine character traits that normally accompany being a good general, a good ruler. A general needs to be confident, firm, and authoritative, able to lead and inspire others to follow him. And we definitely see that in God, too, in, in Scripture. He's firm, commanding, supremely self-confident. But the Bible also depicts God as loving, merciful, mm-hmm. caring, comforting, nurturing. All of those seem to be more feminine than, than masculine. Now, of course, women can be firm and confident, and they surely can be excellent <laughs> Any leaders. Any of us who had mothers <laughs> No, That's right. And they can be excellent leaders just as much as a man can. Conversely, men can be quite caring, loving, and and sensitive. So what is it that determines how such character traits are viewed? It appears that the way we view these character traits seems to be a function of culture in large part. Mm -hmm. In American culture, we traditionally expect the man to be more outspoken and more assertive in a relationship. But in other cultures, African-American culture, it's pretty common for women to be outspoken and uh, step up. In Southern European cultures, people show their emotions openly. But in Northern European cultures, people are more private and less Mm. outwardly impassioned. Some Asian cultures are even more stoic. Their self-control is highly prized in that that culture. Mm -hmm. Now, when I do premarital counseling, I have a section on roles and responsibilities for the husband and the wife. But I I try to make it a point to differentiate between God-given roles. Mm -hmm. God has given the role of the man to lead in the home. He's given the role of the woman to follow his loving leadership. But, okay, there are those roles, but then there's how those are carried out. Because people can get those confused. If If I'm a man and I'm to be... The, the leader in, in the home, well, then that means I need to do everything, mm. and I need to order everything. I need to be the general yeah. and uh, the ruler. And so they start to act that, that way. And then the woman just chafing under the way he's playing his, his role. 
A wise husband who has the biblical role of leader, I try to point out, is going to recognize where his wife, frankly, is more equipped than he is. And a man who's read Proverbs 31. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> absolutely. We'll be looking at that in a few weeks on Mother's Day. Hmm. Warning, ladies. I know a lot of the ladies have told me over the years, I hate that chapter. Ladies, <laughs> they love it when you bring this, especially on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day. Really like it. Yeah. <laughs> but we're in the, and I, because I've gotten those before, I haven't done Proverbs 31 mine in a very long time, but we're in the book of Proverbs. Oh. Anyway, and Mother's yeah. Day's coming up. That's so your ladies, out, man. That's, that's your me, out. Okay? Ladies, it's not his fault. <laughs> so in addition to, though, the Bible pointing out that you've got male and, male and female, biological sex differences, but then gender, it doesn't uh, say so much about directly masculine, feminine. Mm-hmm. There are just things that we associate more directly with one or the, the other. But then you have another passage in the first part of the Bible, Deuteronomy 25. And Deuteronomy 20, excuse me, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, Deuteronomy 22, 5, and it says this, a woman must not wear men's clothing, mm. nor a man wear women's clothing. That's the verse about pants, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry. A, <laughs> some of the days, some of these episodes, I feel like I'm just commenting really. <laughs> <laughs> just the peanut gallery I've got here, you know, as I try yeah. to, I'm trying to help our audience here. Comedy okay? relief and not really that funny, so I'll go I, ahead I and proceed. Funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> But it's a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. So, mm. so you know, it's a serious issue. Now, to your point, joking about pants, though. Right. Men wore things in those days that for us today would be like dresses. Yeah. So what men's clothing is and what women's clothing is varies clearly from time to time, from culture to culture. But a passage like that does make this clear that there is such a thing as women's clothing and men's clothing in a given culture, mm-hmm. and they should not be unisex, that we should be willing to recognize those differences. So a biological male, even one with more feminine gender characteristics, should not seek to be a girl, including not seeking to dress like one. Mm-hmm. And likewise, a biological female, even one with more masculine gender characteristics, or what we would call more masculine gender characteristics, should not seek to be a boy, including dressing. So it's, like it's not prohibiting um, a particular cultural expression, but rather that there be distinction. There you go. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. Yep. Um, so the Bible's very clear then that there are yeah. only two biological sexes. Right. But gender characteristics vary from person to person, depending on personality, and possibly depending not on just, as you said earlier, nature, Mm -hmm. but also nurture. In other words, a a young man may seek to act masculine in a way that they've seen masculinity modeled uh, in front of them. And a young woman might seek to act feminine in the way she's seen modeled in front of her. Um, But that modeling may be biblical, but maybe it's not. Exactly. And, and so on, we need to, on the one hand, acknowledge that the Bible teaches that biological men and women are, in fact, different, mm-hmm. and they should act like it in things like dress, mm-hmm. for instance. The Bible, the Bible says that. But precisely how men are to act and women are to behave is nurtured, modeled to a degree. Mm-hmm. So that means we've got to be really careful. What we model and insist on, God absolutely requiring. Hmm. 
about four and a half about four and a half years ago, I was invited to address a group of pastors on the topic preparing your church for the LGBTQI challenge. That's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex. Hmm. Um, and there may be letters have been added in the few years since. But I said, I said this, I said, the emerging cultural consensus on same-sex behavior and gender identity means not only will the Bible's teaching on these matters be questioned, but more young people are going to be inclined to translate gender confusion into gender identity. Mm. And then following the advice of peers, of the media, school counselors, and so on, they're going to come out loud and proud, which mm -hmm. is a phrase we, we hear. Some of these young people are going to be in our churches forcing some of us to face this issue for the first, the very first time. In that talk, I referenced my Father's Day message from 2016, a message in which I said, we are all, to a degree, made into what we are by what's modeled before us. Hmm. And, and I said that the teaching and preaching that I heard growing up, and this is probably true for you as well, even though, as you've pointed out, you're 10 years younger, and you'd love to point <laughs> just, out, thank you. <laughs> it just means less mature, less wise, those kind of things. But did you, did you hear this? The, the teaching preaching I heard growing up was full of a kind of culturally accepted machismo that was passed off... Machismo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that, that was passed off as biblical masculinity. Yeah. Now, here's the, here's the problem, though, with that then. It would be very easy in an environment like that for a boy to conclude that if the model of being a man is I have to engage in certain things, mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to kill stuff, I have to be a hunter, mm -hmm. I have to play sports, yeah. I have to lift weights, I have to, you know, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, that was what was that was what was modeled. I know, I know, it's hard to believe, but I was not very, you know, I was not a macho man when I was <laughs> yeah, younger. It's hard to believe for either one of us. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> exactly. So no, I, I really can relate to that. Actually, you know, I have a lot of my family members in hunting and mechan you know, mechanics. There you and, go. You know, I wanted to be indoors and yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> doing less less physical activity. <laughs> you want to be at a microphone cracking jokes while yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Video games, skateboards. I uh, skateboarding mostly outdoors. Okay, but. <laughs> all right. But yeah, that kind of thing. So in our in in, in our churches and and going to a Christian school and having chapel services where we were preached to and and you did as well. Mm -hmm. And very often there would be talks about you know you boys need to be men and you girls need to be you know women and here's what that means. Right. Very and it would be rigidly defined. Rigidly yeah. defined. Mm -hmm. So think about if you're a boy in that environment. You're a girl in that environment. You've told me what the profile of a man is. You've told me what the profile of a woman is. I'm not that. Mm. Clearly, I'm not a man. Mm. Clearly, I'm not a woman. Based upon what you told me, we, we've got to be very careful that we never define masculinity in such a way, femininity in such a way, that a boy or girl could then rightly say, I don't fit your profile. That's yeah, not what maybe I Maybe inadvertently reinforcing that I type of confusion. I think we are. Isn't that ironic to think about that we might fall into that? And at the same time, those who are uh, very much in favor of erasing these distinctions um, will oftentimes say or do things that that reinforce that there's distinctions. You know, mm -hmm. the reason I am transgender is because I like 
girly things or, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a it's kind that, of funny. That, that's a good, that's a little, an excellent point. It is. And I'm going to mention in a little bit a recent quote just the other day from Supreme Court Justice who talks about how the way we treat young people and the decisions they make uh, varies based upon the issue. Mm. Uh, so I'll give you that quote here in a, okay. in a bit. So the issue of whether you're a man, uh, whether you're a woman, is not whether you meet some extra-biblical profile. Notice, extra-biblical profile, created by society or created by preachers. Mm -hmm. The issue is, are you biologically male? Okay. Mm. And then you work out who you are individually and your personality characteristics within that. Are you biologically male? Are you biologically female? But we've got to be very careful that the images we portray of masculinity, of femininity, are strictly what the Bible says not merely the models that we grew up with and we sought to emulate. Yeah. So, all right. So having laid out these broad contours mm. of what the Bible teaches on sex and gender, uh, the black and white, mm. as you referred mm -hmm. to it earlier, uh, we, we know we have to apply biblical truth in real-life situations then. So, so here's a question. How do you help a child mm. who's manifesting characteristics of the other gender? So you mentioned pink stuff, mm -hmm. you know, or, earlier. And so let's say you've got a boy who, a young boy, very young age, and is manifesting a, a uh, affinity toward pink stuff and dolls. He's fascinated by beauty and color. And his dad's freaking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because he knows what boys are supposed to, to do, in his mind at least. And what that is, is namely in that dad's mind, is what he did. Mm -hmm. this, is the way, this is the way boys are. This is what it was for me. So he immediately takes away the stuff that the boy likes and forbids it, foists on him an extra biblical profile that the boy actually hates. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is instead of doing that, Dad or mom, you know, if this is with the girl, same thing applies. If she's that, that tomboy that we used, language we used to use, instead affirm, in the case of this boy, that loving beauty is good. Hmm. That beauty came from a good God. Being sensitive is good. God has characteristics like, like that. That's good. That your artistic gifts, if this boy is manifesting those are good, hmm. and they are from God. And all the while also saying that this same good God has made boys hmm. and made girls. And they're alike in many ways, but they're different too. And it's all good from God. Yeah. Now, that, notice, that gives you context to actually teach that then. Exactly. Yeah. And context where they're now going to appreciate this good God. Because mm -hmm. he's given all these good gifts to me, to his world. Now, in that context, you're able to say one of those good things he's done is create variety mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. differentiating between boys and girls. We need to make sure that we are clear about different roles over different psyches, mm -hmm. personalities. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, as I said, when I do the premarital counseling, I try to say, here's your role man, here's your role, husband, wife, but also that's not saying anything about the particular personality you, you bring to it. So just because the husband is to lead the home, that doesn't mean he's necessarily a take-charge 
kind of person. Mm-hmm. You know, a take no prisoners kind of <laughs> personality, you know, to yeah. break stuff and to we order think people of around. Leadership, we think type A. That's but yes. Not every you. husband's type A. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And and so that's not what we're talking about. And parents, I highly recommend that you make those make those distinctions with your kids as they are growing up. And so in the case of that boy, he's gonna be more comfortable now with you. Mm-hmm. If you do it that way, and he's going to be more, and more importantly, he's going to be more comfortable with God, mm. because God has been portrayed by you as he is accurately. Accurately, he's good, mm-hmm. and you are being sensitive so that now, Dad, when you instead of just taking all this stuff away and say no son of mine is gonna you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and we're gonna go out and we're gonna go hunting, and I'm gonna teach you what a real man, you know, kinds of things he does. Now, when you invite him to go to father and son stuff. He wants to go because he wants to be with you. Yeah. Now, he also wants to please you, mm-hmm. Dad. So be sure to allow him to please you within the confines of who he is, mm. yeah. not who you were or who you want him to be. Many a boy has been crushed. Mm. And, and what, is the, what does the Bible say in Ephesians 6, 4? It says, mm. fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Be very careful about that. And, of course, all of this applies to girls same way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it. It uh, there will be plenty of things in our parenting that you have to. You can't, you know, we, we have many things that naturally we want that we mm-hmm. shouldn't pursue. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're supposed to pursue Christ-likeness, not our just natural desires. And when we inaccurately lump things that aren't sinful into there, like you yeah. shouldn't like pink. We, right. we confuse kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, all right, let's go a little deeper then. What does a parent do when they have a child who's experiencing gender dysphoria? Hmm. You know, that's becoming, as you would guess, you know, going from the 70s mm-hmm. and now up to, to our time. It's, it's been fairly slow, although, you know, the 70s is one lifetime. You know, it's in my lifetime mm-hmm. this has happened. But... It is becoming more the case that there's confusion about gender. It's becoming more common and encouraged in society. Yeah, Keyword encouraged. Yeah. It is being encouraged, yeah. promoted even in school. In fact, if a kid today in school, a kid can go from being a loner and not having a popular, not being popular, not having a lot of people around them, and today overnight they can become a hero Hmm. because they're standing up against the machine. They're standing up Mm -hmm. against the expected norms if they say they're transgender. Now, I'm not saying that's why it's not why all the young people do this. I am convinced it's why some of the young people do it, that it allows you a chance to be somebody and you weren't somebody before. But that just shows, though, how much it's being promoted. Mm -hmm. So we all need to ask, First, as we think about this, and this includes us parents, we need to ask ourselves, do I love all people, Hmm. no matter their struggle, including my very own children, with with their struggle? As as hard as it is for us to get our mind around, and as much as we hate to see this happening, because we know that this is contrary to what God has said, and we know that this is contrary to a term I'm going to use a little bit later called human flourishing— Mm-hmm. It's not good for them. It's not right. going to be good for you know my child. So as much as I hate that, I still have to ask myself, even with my own children, do I love them? 
no matter their their struggle, because it can become hateful very quickly. Mm -hmm. I can't emphasize enough then, parents, communicating to your child your undying love and the fact that that will never change. And so you're communicating to them, hey, I love who you are, and I know who you are. Mm -hmm. Now, isn't isn't that what God does with us? Amen. Reminds us all the time of who we are, Mm -hmm. our identity. Before he tells us what to do, Mm -hmm. he tells us who we are. Over and over again in Scripture, he does that. So I know, son or daughter, who you are, that you are made in God's image, that you're made a boy or a girl with particular characteristics, Mm. whatever those are, even if they don't conform to extra-biblical stuff. I love who you are. And those particular characteristics can be marvelous (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you are not only made in the image of God, you are made in the image of God individually, fearfully and wonderfully made, says uh, Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. And though, son or daughter, you're also like me. Mm -hmm. You're one who struggles with who you are as a sinner. And that sin manifests itself in different ways for all of us. It's manifesting itself in you in this way, but you're like me and everyone else in displaying some type of characteristic sin. Let me just stop there for a second. That I, that's a phrase I've heard in counseling books over the years that I think is very helpful. The characteristic ways someone sins. Mm. The characteristic ways you sin, and I'd like to talk about those sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I mean, that's a good question. <laughs> what are the ways Pastor Larry sins? <laughs> and the characteristic ways I sin are different. <laughs> cracking myself up. I thought, well, we're having my wife on the show as a guest oh, next would, week. She would, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. That would be entertaining. But they're characters, characteristic ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is the characteristic way that you are struggling. So this brings up the issue, is homosexuality worse? Because here I'm saying, hey, mm. I have characteristic sins, you have them. Son or daughter, you're struggling with this, and I know that. I understand that. I want to help you with that. I want to work with you on that. So then is homosexuality worse? Well, no, in that we all sin. Sin is sin. Every sin, in fact, of whatever type, is enough to condemn us for eternity. But, yes, it's worse in its effects. And it's worse in what it says also about a society that promotes it, like we are moving into now. Mm -hmm. You see, in... When you look at the first part of the Bible, you look at the Old Testament, and you look at uh, those condemnations in Leviticus and the, you know, the, the language and abomination and those kinds of things, and, mm-hmm. and the punishment for certain kinds of sins, mm-hmm. capital punishment, those were for a few reasons. One, God was dealing with, remember, in the Old Testament, a particular nation. You really had a theocracy going there. And so the punishments are in light of in light of that, that some of these sins will threaten the existence of the nation mm-hmm. if they're allowed to flourish. Yeah. But also, given that environment, remember we talked about the nurturing, what's being nurtured. Now our, we're living in a culture that's promoting. In the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, it was not promoting this. For someone to engage in that in the Old Testament, they not only had to overcome nature, sin nature, mm-hmm. and the way that they are made and what's tempting them, they had to overcome nurture and everything that was around them as well. 
And so it was roundly condemned. But in the New Testament, you actually have it in the New Testament as, yes, in Romans chapter 1, an example of how a society degenerates, Mm -hmm. but it's listed with other sins in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Like lying. Yeah. Right? So who Mm -hmm. among us? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... I recommend understanding that about your child as they struggle with this, that no, it's not worse in one very important, or a few very important senses. It is worse, and that's why you read it that way in the Old Testament, but put that in its theocratic context. It's really important. Because I think yeah. it is. And then communicate to your child, listen, I will always help you go in the right direction, but I cannot help you go in the wrong direction. That would be wrong of me. Now I will be sinning against God. Mm-hmm. I will be guilty before God. So I want to work with you, and let's together work through this. I also recommend highly, parents, that you remain close to your church mm. and to others who can support you, because the culture is against you increasingly mm-hmm. if you're going to try to do what the Bible says with regard to this and move your child in that direction. That is, I just, in context of our last week's episode and the last couple episodes, that so important now. I mean, we've been disconnected for so long that I think Good that point. that's really important to think about yes. now. Now, parents related to that, being connected to your church, here's a temptation. Whether it's transgenderism or whatever it is that your child struggles with, here's your temptation. I'm telling you, here's your temptation. Your temptation is going to be to withdraw Mm -hmm. because you should find refuge when you come to church and be able to find solace with people who love you and care about you and pray for you, try to uphold you. But you won't if you're not careful. You'll actually find the opposite. If you're not careful, you'll bring a heart to it every week when you come to church, and you'll despise the fact that there are intact families here. Mm. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen in marriage counseling. A marriage is struggling, and one or both, the husband or wife, don't want to come to church. Why? Because they don't want to see happy couples. Mm. And likewise, if you're having trouble with your child of whatever type of trouble, you don't want to see happy families. You, you have to overcome that. You have to be able to say, thank God for what he's doing in the lives of other people, and thank God he's given me those people to help support me in the midst of what I have going on. You need that because the culture is not supporting you in this. I mentioned a Supreme Court justice, mm-hmm. and it was just this week a decision came down from uh, the Supreme Court, and Clarence Thomas uh, wrote a footnote in this, in this case, and it was actually a murder case, and it was a murder case that involved a minor committing the, the murder, a teenager, and the court is was ruling on can the teenager who's murdered somebody be treated like an adult, okay? But he says this, when addressing juvenile murderers, this court has stated that, quote, children are different, and that courts must consider, quote, a child's lesser culpability. He said that, as I say in a footnote. And yet, when assessing the court-created right of an individual of the same age to seek an abortion, Mm. members of this court take pains to emphasize a, quote, young woman's right to choose. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he says this, it's curious how this court's view of the maturity of minors ebbs and flows, depending on the issue. So on the one case, case, this is a child. You can't treat a child this way. In the other case, this is a young woman. We don't call call her 
She's no longer a teenager. She's no longer, she's a young woman. Mm -hmm. So it depends. Now, to be fair, that cuts both ways. Actually, that case, <laughs> Thomas ruled with five other uh, conservative justices that indeed you can treat that teenager. It just came out that teenager as an adult if they've committed a, a murder. So whether you agree with that decision or, or not aside, so that's a case where they're saying we're treating them like an adult, the court is, but yet Thomas and company would say, let's not treat them like an adult as it would relate to a, abortion. Mm. So everybody's got some mm -hmm. inconsistencies here. Uh, we all really need to think about those as it relates to this gender thing, though. So I, I still think that what we said the last couple of weeks in our podcasts is true, that the darkness is going to make the light shine brighter. Mm -hmm. The more that people see that they can't live with the consequences of their worldview, they're going to need us when their kids are sharing bathrooms, mixing sports, all the other, frankly, absurdities that are going to flow from the failure to accept what God has made for, I mentioned earlier, human, human flourishing. flourishing yeah. Human flourishing should be emphasized. God is good. The Creator is good. And our children should see that God is good in our homes and in our churches. People who love the life that God has given us, even though it's not the life that everybody else has, it doesn't have all the material blessings that everybody else has, it doesn't mean that we are exempt from the trials that everybody else has. They may even be worse, but we serve a good God, and we do so with joy, and He allows us mm -hmm. to flourish as His people and as His family of families that is the church. Our kids should see that, and they if they see that, it doesn't affect every kid the same way. I get that. There are, there are exceptions. But that will create an incubator in which our, our kids grow and learn to trust us mm -hmm. as their leaders. More important, trust God. Yeah. So uh, we're, I think we're almost out of time. Okay. One more question, maybe. Okay. Uh, what do we call someone mm -hmm. who has changed their gender identity, whether by surgery or declaration? You know, I'm just following uh, others' good advice. I think good advice on this, that uh, when someone chooses a name, call them by their name. Uh, my only exception to whatever your name is going to be is if you... Uh, come up with some name that blasphemes God or something like that. Uh, I mean, I, th I think there's like a disc jockey. This guy might have been a rapper. I don't know. Have you ever heard the the name Charlemagne the God? I think it you is. You think it's little, little Char Charlemagne? Don't you put little on the beginning? Is of it? it? No, I don't know. I don't totally know. Everything's just being, be little. Okay. Trying to be funny. Lil Wayne again. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> That's how hip I am. I know little <laughs> Lil Wayne, okay. So, yeah, you know, I can't say that. I can't do that. I can't use that flip. I can't use God's name flippantly. So if mm. somebody asks me to swear in their name or something like that, other than that, whatever your name is, I'll, I'll use your name. But with regard to gender, uh, I would say don't use he for a girl. And don't use she for a, for a boy. Don't use pronouns. Uh, because that's affirming a lie mm. when, when you do that. That means then really purpose to say, I'm going to refer to this person by their name not by pronouns. Every time I would say he or she, I'm mm -hmm. just going to use their name. Now, in conversation, sometimes that's hard to do. It also assumes you know the history of what's going on with the person. That's true, I, I'm not going to, if I suspect... I'm not looking at I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to sit there. And... That, you know, this assumes you know. That's mm -hmm. right. And if you don't know, don't try to, don't be a detective and try yeah. to look into it or yeah. ask about it, right? Just go with it. And if you mess up on the pronouns, don't worry about it. Okay, mm -hmm. But what you're trying to do is not be culpable in any way of affirming uh, or participating in, in the lie. Yeah, makes sense. 
Well, this is a topic that I could, there's yeah. tons of uh, other things we could talk about, but thanks for taking the time on that today. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you all for joining us for this topic, very timely, as we said earlier, for our cultural moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for watching this, and make sure if you haven't already, subscribe to our channel, hit the like button on this video so that uh, it bubbles up in search results and, and more people can see this biblical perspective on such a relevant issue. And uh, with that, then we're all set for this week. We'll see you in the next episode. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com or text it to us at 97000.